We're going to start a new unit tonight, and uh, believe it or not, we're in the home stretch. This is the last unit of the um, Bible Doctrine book, and uh, we're going to start uh, tonight looking at uh, the doctrine of the future. We're going to talk about future events and things that are yet to happen. Um, and, and if you've got your book there, it's, it, that, this chapter, um, or this section starts on page 427. Um, and, and we're going to talk about future events, and the study of future events is called eschatology. Okay? And um, the word eschatos, which means uh, the study of last things, this is last things. So that's where we get the, the term there for the study of the last things. And we can think about last things in, in general. Um, you know, we can look at history and we can look at how things have happened in the past and we have some success in predicting how things might happen in the future. And the easiest thing to think about, I think, is the weather. Okay, So here's, here are guys who get paid to be wrong about half the time, right? But they can look at patterns and see what ha what's happening, and they can predict the future. Not completely accurately, but, but they can do that. We can look at past events in history and, and, and see how events unfold and somewhat predict how things might happen. But there's no absolute certainty. No, no human being can accurately predict what's going to happen in the future. It just can't be done. Things are a little bit different, though, when we talk about the Word of God. We've been given some information that allows us to know for certain about things that are going to happen in the future. Now, why is that? Why, how, can we, how, how can I say that? We, we can know for certain things that are going to happen in the future. Why is that? The promise to us as believers. All right. Promised by? <coughs> by God. We've been given his word, right? And from a practical standpoint, everything that he has promised in our human past has come to be. That's right. Everything that's ever been promised, that has been fulfilled, uh, has happened just as he said, or will be fulfilled just as he God's word is true and accurate, and because of that, totally dependable, the things that he says that are going to happen in the future, we can then stand confidently on those things and, and, and talk about them and know them with absolute certainty. Now, when we think about eschatology, we can break it down kind of into two groups. One would be our, our personal eschatology, and we've actually already talked about some of those kinds of things, like death and the intermediate state and glorification. We didn't, we didn't use the term eschatology when we were talking about those, but, but those would be examples of some, some personal last things. Tonight we're talking from a more broad standpoint. We're, we're talking about a, a broader group of things, um, and, and we might would call that general eschatology, um, universal events like, for instance, tonight we're talking about the coming of Jesus Christ, the, re the return, his second coming. It would also include things like the millennium, final judgment, eternal punishment of the wicked, uh, reward for believers, and the new heaven and the new earth. Now, certainly, in a topic like this, much of, much of what we might talk about is you might say it's kind of clouded in debate. There are 
differences of opinion about even things that God has, has said. There are different ways to look at certain scriptures and interpretations of some of those scriptures. So you might find people on one side of the argument that you really trust, and you might find someone else on the other side of the argument that you really trust. Uh, they can both be very genuine in, in what they uh, believe. And the key is to remember that we must keep the scriptures central. Um, and yet at the same time recognize that sometimes scripture just keeps things in mystery for us. So again, tonight we're going to talk about the second coming of Jesus. And so I would say that Jesus is coming again. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> Sam, did you hear a trumpet? Amen. <laughs> but that we can know for certain. We can know for certain. Let's, uh, I forgot to pass out my scriptures here. Uh, maybe I'll just call these out tonight. Sam, would you look up John 14, 3? Audrey, Acts 1, 6 through 11. Let's see. Linda, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. Linda Shirley, you want one? Hebrews 9, 28. Let's see what scripture has to tell us about the, the, the second coming of Jesus. Sam? Ready? Uh, John 13, 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all Four, things under... 14, 3. I'm sorry. 14. Well, that was a good one, too. <laughs> Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Oh, good. 14, 3. I've got that one on the line. <laughs> And if I could go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you, all, that you will also be there where I am. Okay. So Jesus said that um, he's going. He, he was telling. He was in a conversation with his disciples in the upper room. Uh, they, were, he was beginning to, they were beginning to come to understand that he was departing, that he was leaving, and he was offering words of comfort. Sounds like a good sermon in there somewhere. Um, but he said, I, if I go and prepare a place, I'm going to come again and take you to where I am, all, that, 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 that you may be where I am. Okay? And I, I, I was just uh, reading in um, our uh, McShane Bible reading this morning. We were in John 17, which, of course, Jerry just preached a couple of weeks ago. And I thought it was interesting that one of the scriptures that I read this morning, John 17, 24, said, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you've loved me. So it's, it's Jesus' desires. He was praying to the Father before he was going to be crucified. One of his desires is that we would be where he was, so he's coming back to, to fulfill that. Audrey, do you have Acts, mm -hmm. Acts 1, 6 through 11? So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Okay. So Jesus has risen. He spent some, some time with his disciples, interact, interacting with them. And 
he's ascending into heaven, and as he does, right before their eyes, that he, he, he ascends into the clouds and disappears, and they're standing there. I can imagine I'd do the same thing, you know, just be amazed at, at the sight. And, and all of a sudden, two men are standing there, or, or, or a man is standing there with them and says, what are you doing? You know, get busy. you got work to do. He's coming back just like you saw him leave. Okay. Who had 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18? For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Okay. Hebrews 9.28. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Okay, another promise of his return. We could probably go on and on. You know, I jotted down Matthew 24, 27, 30, 44, James 5, 8, 2 Peter 3, 10, 1 John 3, 2, Revelation 22, 20. And we could, again, could probably go on and on. There's no doubt that, that the Bible tells us that Jesus is coming back. He will return. And so what is the importance of this second coming? Well, first, I think it's to consummate the salvation of his people. I mean, the whole purpose of this story, of, of this story what was destroyed in, in Genesis 3, Jesus came to restore, to, to restore that relationship, to... to um, to make us one with him again. And so certainly his second coming is to, is to consummate the salvation of his people. <clears throat> Jesus is also to be glorified in his believers. Second Thessalonians 1.10 tells us that. It says, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who believe. So Jesus' second coming, those who belong to him will worship him. He will be glorified in that. His second coming will inaugurate the kingdom rule of God. You know, we don't... None of us have to, to look very hard to see that this world that we live in is just broken and, and uh, it's just it's not easy. Ephesians 6.12 tells us, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. In John 14, Jesus calls Satan the ruler of this world who is ultimately to be cast out. That will be accomplished at Jesus' second coming another importance is, is that vengeance and punishment justice on those who, who have rejected Jesus in this life it will be the end of suffering for those who have trusted in Jesus and our, as we said earlier our full fellowship with him will, will be restored so what should our hope be JC how about looking up Titus 2 11 through 13 Titus 2 11 through 13 Philippians 3.20. Who else? How about 1 Corinthians 16.22? And when we talk about the hope of Christ's return, we're not talking about, you know, cross my fingers and hope, right? This is an assurance, but something that we look for, know that we can stand upon and trust in. You ready, JC? No. Okay. Here we go first. Yes. Yeah. Philippians 3.20. Reading from the Net Bible. But 
our citizenship is in heaven, and we also eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform these humble bodies of ours into the likeness of his glorious body by means of that power by which he is able to subject all things to himself. Amen. He talks about our citizenship. This is not where we belong. This is not where we fit in. We belong somewhere else. And this hope that we have in Jesus' return is that our citizenship will be established where, where it does belong. JC? Yeah. Titus 2. For he sacrificed those who are uh, sanctified all have one origin. This is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell you your name to your brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praises. Um, and again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children of God uh, has given me. Okay. 1 Corinthians 16, 22. Uh, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed, and the Lord come. Okay. So Paul is, is, is calling for the Lord to come because of our great love for him. Because we love him, we want to be with him, and, and that is part of our hope in his return. Now, sometimes in this world, you've, you may have come across so-called Christians, people who call themselves believers who don't act like they look all that much forward to, to Jesus' return. And and I guess sometimes we might all fall into that trap. We get maybe sometimes too busy, too, too caught up with the things of this world, and, and they can tend to distract us. And, and maybe we neglect our Christian fellowship. We, we don't gather together as believers as often as we should. We, we have a tendency sometimes to make friends with the world and its, its systems too easily. Maybe those that, that we think of that don't seem to be looking so forward to Christ's return or are lukewarm or half-hearted and you know, maybe you wouldn't even call those Christians. You know, Paul, just real fast, you know, thought sure. there, in, in all seriousness, I think we I think we as people of God have let ourselves be influenced by the Hollywood culture. Mm -hmm. Every Hollywood movie that ever gets made with, you use the terms apocalypse, end times, second coming, right? It's always some kind of disaster, cataclysmic, terrible thing. And so I think that that common understanding in the culture sometimes we don't sneaks its way in. It does, and we don't see it for the joy from those scriptures that we were just talking about, the hope that we have. Sometimes we forsake, you know, the daily, the vital, important part of, of being in His Word and and uh, communing with the Lord daily, and and uh, that may affect our our hope for His return. When we really boil it down, it's important that we. Look at the thing. Look at, at the world and its systems the way God does, and see that it's really in bondage to sin. I think that we kind of get caught up in the good culture we live in often. We call Peter, and uh, it's kind of like life is good. I have a home, I have a roof over my head, I have food, I have loved ones, everything's going. We get comfortable. Let's just build three tabernacles and stay right here. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so it's important to see things as God really does. You know, we, we should see that, you know, the current freedom that Satan has to act in this world is something that, that is uh, detestable and that we desire uh, to be done away with. We should see our own sin and, and desire to be holy. We should desire for God's rule and reign and his authority to, to exist. So if Christ is coming back, and he is, then should we make long-term plans? Absolutely. 
Okay? Why do you say that? You're right. No reason not to. That's right. We have a faith and a hope in God's promises and just can continue to go on and uh, be his uh, hands and feet, if you will, until uh, we get further notice. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a sign of, of a lack of faith if, you know, and he uses the example, I think, of someone who enrolls in a three-year college program. Um, you know, that, that doesn't demonstrate a lack of faith in, in Christ's return because as we're going to talk about as we, as we get deeper into this, we don't know exactly when Christ returns. So it's certainly not wrong that we make long-term plans or, or arrangements for the future. And so that does beg the question, can we know, can we be certain, the timing of Christ's return? Jerry, look up Matthew 24, 44. Scott, you got your Bible? Matthew 25, 13. David, Mark. 13, 32, and 33. <clears throat> Can we know the exact timing of Christ's return? Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Okay. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Okay. David? I'm the one else that's going to Had written them down and then forgot to pass them out to everybody. Uh, 13, 32, and 33. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when the time will come. Okay, so have we answered the question? Can we know when Jesus will return? We can't, can we? We can't predict his, the exact timing, and so therefore any prediction is categorically wrong. I can remember when I was a kid, must have been elementary school or so, one of those predictions came out that the world was going to end, and that was probably how it was phrased, the world is coming to an end on Tuesday, January 6th or whatever. And I can remember being scared to death, you know, I'm just a little... And uh, my mom was smart enough to, you know, when I went and questioned her about it, she was smart enough to phrase it back in, not that the world is going to end, but to take me back to the scriptures to say that no one can know when Jesus is coming back. Therefore, if someone predicts when he's coming back, they're automatically wrong. And so uh, I've, I've, I've kept that with me the rest of my life. But just because we don't know the exact timing doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. Now, there are obviously some certain disagreements over the returning of Christ, and I would, I would caution you to put those in the category of minor issues. These are not, this is not a doctrine that you necessarily have to die on. This is not a hill that, that you need to die on. Um, there can be healthy disagreements, and, and that's okay. We need to be open-minded, and, and one of the, to me, one of the keys to being open-minded is to admit that there's a little bit of mystery involved in, in this discussion. Um, it, it's important for those who, um, who, who think about and talk about this subject, uh, keep in mind that really what we're searching for is scriptural truth. And Grudem, on page 430, and I'll just read that. You don't have to turn there. 
but I like the way he phrased this. He said, no matter what their differences on the details, all Christians who take the Bible as their final authority agree that the final and ultimate result of Christ's return will be the judgment of unbelievers and the final reward of believers, and that believers will live with Christ in new heavens and a new earth for all eternity. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will reign and will be worshipped in a never-ending kingdom with no more sin, sorrow, or suffering. So, all believers believe those things. Now, there are some aspects of, of, of the second coming that, that are disputed or, or discussed. And so we want to think about the question, could Christ come back at any time? Could he come back at any time? And there are passages that lead us to understand that he could certainly come back at any moment. Um, and yet there are other passages that seem to say that certain events or or. Certain events need to happen before he can come back. So there's, there's this apparent tension. But Matthew, there are, I want to read you some of the verses that support the idea that he could, he could come back at any moment, a sudden unexpected return. Matthew 24, 42 through 44 says, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So this unexpectedness uh, means that Jesus could come back at any time. That, that scripture points to the fact that it could be at any moment. Matthew 25, 1 through 13 says, Then the kingdom of heaven would be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they, became, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who, went were, and those who were ready went in to him to, to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. And here's the, here's the, um, the caution, or the command. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So again, scripture indicating that Jesus could come at any moment. Luke 12 says this, but know this, that if the master of the house had, is that the same scripture we read earlier? We may have read it earlier. <coughs> if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would, have, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. In, in First Thessalonians, uh, the coming of the Lord is compared to a thief coming in the night. So from these passages, we would have to say that certainly Jesus could come back at any moment. And we would use the, we would use the term imminent. Imminent 
when we, when we think of, of Christ's return being in, imminent, we would say that Christ could and might return at any moment. And the, so the theme of these verses that we've been looking at is, is that we must be ready. However, there are some signs that Scripture says that, um, that must precede Christ's return. I'll give you a few of those. Mark 13.10 says that the gospel must be preached to all nations. Mark 13.19 and 20 says it speaks of a time of tribulation that would occur before Christ returns. Mark 13.22 talks about false prophets, signs and wonders. Mark 13.24 and 26 speaks of signs in the heavens. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 10 speaks about the man of sin and lawless, lawlessness, a rebellion, the Antichrist. Romans 2, 26 and 25 talks about the salvation of Israel. That may be supposed to be Romans 9, the salvation of Israel. And so it seems that we have to conclude then that there are some things that must happen prior to Christ's return. And so there would be those that might would say that Christ can't come at any moment if these, item, if these things had not been accomplished. So how do we <coughs> reconcile that? Well, Grudem gives us uh, several ideas or, or solutions to help reconcile this. And the first is to say, or to conclude, that Christ can't, can't come at any moment. And there are obvious problems with that because we just read scriptures that, that clearly indicate that he can and that, we should, that we're warned to be ready and, and to be waiting. Luke 21, 28 says, Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because redemption is drawing near. So these signs and wonders are supposed to increase our anticipation and our looking for his return. So a second solution that he offers is that Christ could come at any moment. And then he offers three ways that we can, can look at this solution. The first is to think of Christ's return as two distinct returns. Okay. So Christ comes and raptures the church. And after a period of, of seven years of the tribulation, he comes a second time to rule and to reign. And during the tribulation is when these signs that, that are to be accomplished are, are, are thus accomplished. And he points out that there are some, some obvious problems with, with this view as well. First of is which is that Two separate returns of Christ are not explicitly talked about in, in the scripture. Um, it's a relatively new uh, idea. I think it was in the 18, middle 1800s. About 150 years old. Darby, I think it was his name, um, came up with the idea. It's called dispensationalism, where he divided the, 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 the into different ages in, in, in ways that God uh, revealed himself. Have you ever heard the story on that? No. It's about 15 seconds worth. Okay. It was a backcountry Scottish revival, and there was a teenage girl that claimed she had a vision. And from that, it turned into what we now call the rapture. That's the country anecdote. Whether that's true, well, I don't know, but that's usually what gets associated with. One of the other, and, and you guys may better piece this together than I do but one of the other things that this that this dispensationalism would say is that Israel and the church are separate and God has different plans and, and workings out through end times for each one of those groups a couple weeks ago I don't remember exactly which section we were in but we were talking about 
I guess it was the church, and we talked about how Old Testament believers were part of the church. So I think Grudem tends to shy away from what would be called this dispensationalism partly because of that idea. Um, another kind of problem with that, that theory is, um, you know, the, the, the word in Thessalonians, uh, when Jesus returns, it says, we'll be caught up in the air to meet him, and, and referring to the rapture. And, and the word meet there is used a couple other times in the New Testament. And um, I think probably one of the, the best examples is um, the prodigal son. When his son was returning and the father saw him, he went out to meet him. And what did he do? He returned back home with him. And that, in the, in the, in the two other places where <clears throat> that's used in the New Testament, that's the picture that you see is that a person goes out to meet someone and then returns back where they were. So um, that, that tends to point to a little problem with, with that solution. A second way to look at, at the solution that, that Christ could come at any moment is to say that all of the signs have been fulfilled, therefore Christ could come at any moment. Um, a person who believed that would say that all of the signs were accomplished in the early church age. So the gospel was preached to all, false prophets and teachers arose, tribulation, there was a suffering at the hands of the Roman Empire for the early church. Uh, Jewish people were saved, are continuing to be saved in the, in the church age. Um, but obviously the, the problem with this view is that the signs that are called for in the scripture seem to point to much larger kind of cataclysmic, I guess, um, just bigger type events than what that would seem to allow for. A third way to look at uh, the possibility that Christ could come at any moment is to say that it's unlikely but possible that all the signs have been fulfilled. This appears to be on the surface an attractive position because it takes the, the meaning of the signs and the, and the wonders uh, seriously. Uh, it takes, again, it, it would cause us to take the warnings to be ready seriously and it agrees with the idea that Christ could return at any moment, that we just don't know when. Uh, Grudem outlined <coughs> several of the, um, signs and wonders or some of the signs and he said for instance and I'll just give you a couple examples again thinking about it being unlikely but possible that these have been accomplished the preaching of the gospel to all nations while it is unlikely that this sign has been fulfilled Paul does speak in Colossians about the worldwide spread of the gospel he speaks of the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the, whole, in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing. So it's possible that that has been accomplished. It talks about the great tribulation. Again, thinking about it being unlikely but possible. It seems likely that the language of scripture indicates a period of suffering coming to the earth that is far greater than anything that has yet been experienced. But it must be realized that many people have understood Jesus' warning about great tribulation to refer to the Roman siege of Jerusalem in the Jewish war of AD 66 through 70. The suffering during that great war was indeed terrible and could be what was described by Jesus in predicting this tribulation. 
um, false Christs and prophets. While demonic miracles and false signs have been done for centuries, it seems likely that Jesus' words predict a far greater manifestation of this kind of activity in the time just prior to his return. Again, we must say, however, that it is difficult to be certain that this will be so. It is best to conclude that it is unlikely but possible that this sign has been fulfilled. The salvation of Israel, pointing to unlikely but possible. With regard to the salvation of the fullness of Israel, again it must be said that Romans 9 through 11 seems to indicate that there will be a yet future massive ingathering of the Jewish people as they turn to accept Jesus as their Messiah. But it is not certain that Romans 9 through 11 predicts this, and many have argued that no further ingathering of the Jewish people will occur beyond the kind which we have already seen through the history of the church. So he gives several examples of how those, it's, it's unlikely but possible that those signs have been accomplished. And so the question we, we might ask is, is it possible to be ready for something that is unlikely to happen in the near future? Is it possible to be ready for something that's unlikely to happen in the near future? Certainly it is. When we all go home tonight, we're going to put on a seatbelt. It's unlikely that we'll have a problem, but we want to be ready for it if we do. Or purchasing insurance. We all purchase insurance in the event that something unlikely happens, right? So it's certainly possible to be ready for something that's unlikely to happen. And so as we've thought about these things, um, we have to confess that it's, it's certainly possible that God has revealed exactly what he wants us to know. Uh, there's still some mystery surrounding much of it, and it's certainly within God's right to keep some of it uh, as a mystery. He may not want us to know everything there is with, with all <coughs> uncertainty. He does want us to long for his return and anticipate it, and we should expect that, he, that it could happen at any time. I know that Jesus is coming again. Yeah, you really don't have to look any further than the first advent to, to understand the anticipation for the second advent and the timing of it. Israel looked for hundreds, even thousands of years for the coming of Messiah. And many missed it when he did come. But you know, we're, we're waiting for an imminent appearance of him again. And uh, you can make a, a pretty good case that all of the all the necessary prerequisites have been accomplished. And so it is an imminent. Could it be another thousand years or five thousand years? It could be. Could be another five minutes. Right. From a biblical perspective. We, as I was downstairs getting ready for this and Michael was getting ready to go do his teen kid and he, I told him I was teaching tonight and I said he said, What are you talking teaching on? And I said the return of Christ and he said, Wouldn't it be interesting if he came back while you were teaching? <laughs> and he could. He could have. But it may be some period of time yeah I agree you know that that third way of looking at it is probably the most likely the, or the, the most attractive position is to think that most of those things have already occurred and um, well the truth of the matter is the disciples believed that his coming back was imminent and he wanted them to think that that's right yeah anything else we're going to get done pretty early tonight yeah just as a contrast to the biblical position, uh, our, our friends at the cult of the, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the watchtower over, over the century and a half that's been around is, don't be reading that boy, has been, uh, it probably made up to 15 
uh, ironclad predictive dates right. of when Christ was going to return. <laughs> And they, and they would market it to the to the people as you need to get ready because it's this it's this day. And one of the most famous false predictions they ever made was in the 70s. And and they said no no this is it no really this time this is you need to sell everything. And so th they had people in their whatever they call their groups selling everything they own. Well after the information came out a couple of years later it turns out that the watchtower wasn't selling, they were buying, they were heavily investing in the stock market and other other securities, things like that. Well, the only healthy way to, to approach it as an as a honest believer is to read scripture and believe what it says. When it says he's coming back, believe it. When it says it's going to be like a thief in the night and it could happen at any moment, we, we need to believe it. Jesus himself said that even the Son of Man doesn't know when he's coming back. They're only the Father knows. Right. There's, there's mystery in, in it and that's just we just have to live with that and trust God to if you do it it would be a disaster if we didn't know the exact that's right time because everybody would wait until the last minute right all I know is I'm ready come quickly Lord Jesus come quickly let's pray Father we thank you for your word and we thank you that we can trust in it Father we read it and Sometimes we don't understand. We pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment, that you would help us to understand the things you intend for us to understand. And Father, we recognize that there are some things that will remain a mystery, and in those we pray that you would give us and increase our faith, that we would just trust you in them. Father, we do rejoice at the thought of our Lord and Savior returning, that where he is we may be also. Father, we long for that day. We long to be in your presence, to worship you unhindered by sin, to enjoy full fellowship with you. Father, we pray that that day would come about quickly. But Father, as long as you tarry, as long as you choose to wait, we pray that you would help us to be mindful of the reason that you've left us here. Pray that we would be careful and diligent to carry the gospel message on our lips that we would go out in this community and, and into all parts of the world to share the good news of your returning. <coughs> Father, we pray that you would put people in our paths each day that we could share. We pray that you would bring about events that we might encounter people that you are already working in their lives, that you would give us divine appointments, <coughs> that you would use us to draw souls into your kingdom that upon that day you return, Father, we will all worship you in joy together. Be with us as we go now, Father. Keep us safe, and, and uh, may we return Sunday to worship to you together. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Tom, I'm wondering, have you got a job? You've been reading the Watchtower. <laughs> hey, we got time for him to do some speaking in tongues. We'll speak, yeah, you weren't here last week when we need to speak in tongues. Rick Flair! <laughs> I don't care what city it is. Chattanooga. We don't have an interpreter for that. <laughs> yeah, we do. He's right there. <laughs>